Oh, it's good to be with you today. Isn't it a great thing to gather together and to remember how much the Lord loves us and that we're people of God? We sing the song of those who are redeemed, of those who have been purchased at a great price, and those who have been washed clean. And uh, it is a joy to get together and to be able to share that with each other, to be able to break bread and to take the cup and to talk of what God has done. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, but before we do, if I can, I want to remind you there's something that I learned about here that is a tradition that happens on September 11th for the last few years. It's called Grace Bomb. And what it is is the idea that we're, we shift the meaning of uh, that, that day, that day that was so filled with uh, hardship and, um, and death and despair. And instead what we do is we find a way to bless this city. And it was started by uh, Jimmy Sportsman years ago, a uh, former preacher that was here. And if you haven't been here before for this, like me, uh, let me kind of tell you, our desire and um, our wish with this is that we get to go uh, to a business here in town and we bless them by uh, spending our, our time and our money there and by being uh, salt and light in their business. So what we'll do is we've got a restaurant and we'll tell you about it next Sunday uh, that we're going to go to next Sunday at about five o'clock. And as many of us that can come will go and we will have dinner there and we will bless them and we will treat them with dignity and we will be people of joy and we will smile and we will have a good meal and then we will bless their servers and the people that are there in such a way uh, that they will realize uh, that God's people were there. So that's our desire. We hope that you'll be able to come join us for that. Uh, if you'd like to, there's a place to sign up in the back so that we know how many people are coming. There's also a box back there if you would like to donate to uh, the tips that we're going to put together to give to the servers and those folks so that they have a wonderful day too. So this is, this is us going out and being God's people in this city, and it is a great opportunity for us to do that. So uh, we, we're excited that we get to do that. Um, we're going to talk about joy today, and this has to do with the scripture that we've been going through for a while. This has to do with abiding, and I, I know I told you guys I might not use that picture. Go ahead and put that picture back up uh, if you have it, because I want this to be burned into our, our minds, because let me tell you why. Your mind is absolutely, and your eyes are drawn first thing to that fruit. It's, it's pretty, and it tastes good, and it looks good, and it smells good, and that's where your eyes go. But really what we're trying to do with all of this is we're going, don't go too far out on that branch and look at that fruit. What you really want to do is come back and look at where that branch connects to that vine. Because that's the secret in the fruit being there, is that branch being attached to that vine. That's where we live. That's where we stay. That's where we make our home. That's where we abide. And in that, there is great freedom, and there is great peace, and there's great joy. And so today, we're especially going to spend some time talking about the joy that Jesus wants us to have. So let's pray uh, before we get uh, further into this. Bow your heads with me, if you would. Holy God, we do thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for your word, how it's living, and uh, how it is such a powerful thing. And 2,000 years later, we look and we take your word and we put it on the world that we live in, and we still see how it matters so much, how it changes us, how we can be uh, people that abide in you, and because of that, the world is changed around us. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us strength and you would give us courage to hold tightly onto the vine, no matter what, that we never let go, and through that, you produce the fruit that you would like for us to have. We say all of this because we have a, a resurrected Lord Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. 
So uh, football season started, college football season started this past week. Some of y'all may have seen some games there. Uh, mostly it was the big teams taking on the sisters of the poor and whooping up on them pretty good, which is what the first week of football tends to look like. But there was one game that I don't know if you saw, but I saw the part of the last end of it and some of the highlights. There was a game, and, and forgive me for just using a sports metaphor, but I think we can all get into this. Uh, North Carolina played Appalachian State. And I don't know if you looked at that, but what happened was you had two teams and they're playing each other and they go into the fourth quarter and North Carolina's ahead by like 20, 21 points. And the announcers were saying, uh, oh, there's joy in North Carolina tonight because this is what's going on. And then what happened was during the fourth quarter, nine touchdowns were scored. So there was over 60 points that were added to what was going on just in the fourth quarter. And uh, Appalachian State made this roaring back uh, attempt to take the lead. And then they talked about how great it was. And what was amazing is as I'm watching this and I'm thinking about today when we're going to talk about joy, is you see all these fans from Appalachian State. And they're cheering and they're, they're smiling and they're jumping up and down and everything's great. And then they get up and they score a touchdown to where they're about to tie. And then they go for the two-point conversion and they don't make it. And then they are all got their heads down. And it's amazing because it looks like it's over. And then North Carolina goes and scores again, and then Appalachian State comes and scores again, and then everybody's excited, and they're happy, and their hands are up, and they're jumping up and down, and then they go for another two-point career, and then they don't get it, and everybody's sad. And, and then they score again with like nine seconds left in the game. It's amazing. They score again, and everybody's really excited, but then they come up short at the end, and then everybody's really sad. And at the end of it, I actually heard then the announcers say something along the lines of, uh, oh, there will be great joy in North Carolina tonight because of the win. And you think about that and go, yeah, you know, until next week. And then it's this roller coaster again. You know, it's these ups and these downs. And you think about that and you go, I get it. And I had so much fun watching that. And it is so much fun to watch. Uh, and it's intense and it's great. But I don't think they're using that word joy right. Because when you look at this and you look at the scriptures, uh, in particular in John 15, about Jesus before he goes to his death, and when he's trying to talk to his disciples right before he goes, and he says, listen, here's the last thing I want to leave you with. No matter what, you need to remember that as I'm abiding in my Father, I want you to abide in me. And the reason for this is because I want you to have my joy and because I want it to be complete. Now, complete's an interesting word when you think about this because you're going, Jesus wants them to have joy and the joy to be complete. I don't, we don't usually use that word. What is complete joy? Does that mean you don't feel anything else? It's not about emotions, and it's not the same as happiness. The word complete there is usually used about fulfilled. Promises that are fulfilled. Joy that is fulfilled. Even when it talks sometimes about the law being fulfilled, it's talking about it finally coming to this completion. What you've been waiting for is finally filled all the way up. The measure is completely full. And that's what Jesus wishes for us to have. That's what he wanted his disciples to have. The interesting thing is, what a weird time to say it. I mean, if you think about this in the context, if you remember, Jesus is having this discussion after they've had the Last Supper. You remember they go and they have the Last Supper, and Jesus ties the towel around his waist, and he goes and he, he washes the feet of his disciples, including the one that's going to betray him. And then while he's in there, he says, one of you is going to betray me. It's the one I'm dipping with now. And then he also has had the conversation with Peter where he goes, here's the deal. Even though you say you'll never leave me, you're going to deny me and you're going to leave. 
And then they leave that upper room and they're on the way to the garden. And in between the upper room and the garden is where he says this, I want you to abide in me. And then he says, so that you have my joy. So that the joy I have, you will have. What joy? What possible joy could you have being right there with him knowing exactly what's going to happen in about the next 12 hours? You got to remember, he is in between his last supper and his death. He is about to say things like, will you pray with me because my soul is sorrowful even unto death. His sweat drops are about to become like blood. And he's about to have one of his own best friends bring the guards in and arrest him and haul him off. He knows what's going to happen. He knows where he is and he knows what's going to happen. And at the same time, he says, I want you to have my joy. And I think one of our reactions to that would be to look at that and to go, I don't want what you have. (laughs) If this is what joy is, keep it. Because this is bad. What's about to happen to you is bad. I don't know if I want to feel what you're feeling. But Jesus wants to give us something, and it's something that he has right there. It's, It's like he wants to bequeath it to you. I want you to inherit it. I want what I have to become yours, and I want you to hold on to it. But you wonder why he says it now. It seems like it would make more sense if Jesus were to wait until after the resurrection and then go, so the joy that I have now, I want you to have. And I would get that. That makes sense. I would want that joy. That's after victory joy, right? That's after the win joy. I'll take that. I'd like to have a lot of that. But this is not that. This is in between the promises that have been made and the promises being completed, fulfilled joy that he still has. Now, he knows what's going to happen, right? I mean, Jesus is not confused. He knows there's going to be death. He knows there's going to be pain. He knows there's going to be resurrection. But at this time, before the disciples even know that, he says, I want what I have to be yours By every measure of human understanding, he should have no joy at all in what's happening to him and what he's about to face. If we were to be able to measure it, and if we were to look at somebody and go, here's his circumstances, here's what he's going through, you'd look and you'd go, on a scale of 1 to 10, you get a negative 200. That is awful. What you're about to face, that is not about joy, and that is not how we measure it. Because we measure, usually, joy in human comfort, and in ease, and in fun, and in pleasure, and he doesn't have any of those things right there. But he has something that's giving him joy that is complete that he wants us to have. So obviously, the first thing we can conclude from that is it has nothing to do with his circumstances. It has nothing to do with what's happening to him, and it has nothing to do with what's happening around him. If it did... He wouldn't be talking about complete joy. His friends are about to abandon him. He's about to be mocked. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be abused. And he's about to be killed. So the joy he has has nothing to do with what's about to happen to him or around him. It is not in his circumstances in any way at all. He knows sin and death is about to have its day. Within just a few hours, sin and death will have what looks like complete victory. So the way that we measure joy, usually as happiness, oftentimes, like I said, he gets a pretty low score on that. 
Because we measure that usually according to what is happening to us and what's happening around us. And that's because we often confuse joy and happiness. And they are not the same thing in any way whatsoever. And that's, you see, that's what happiness is. Happiness is this thing that happens to us and it happens around us. And it's the way that we react to it, right? That's what was going on in that football game. Is good things happen and yay, I'm happy. And then bad things happen and oh, I'm sad. And then good things happen and then I'm happy again. And you could see them going up and down with that. That's happiness. That's emotion. That's fleeting. If you were to try and grab hold of that, it would be like trying to grab hold of the fog I saw on the way in here. It would just slip right through your fingers and it disappears. As a matter of fact, I saw uh, this week a study that Psychology Today magazine did. Trying to measure happiness. They said, we're going to try and measure it and see if we can figure out what it is. And so they did these experiments with people to try and find out how you can measure happiness with them. And they, they tried all kinds of things. One of the things they did was go, we'll actually measure the chemicals in your brain. Because we know that when you're depressed, the chemicals in your brain change. Like we know that there's a serotonin level that's really low. So we can measure that and go, oh, you may have depression because your serotonin levels are low. But then they went and said, so when serotonin levels are high, does that mean people are happy? And they found no correlation. Just because you have the chemicals in there does not make people happy. So it's not that. Then what they did was they went and measured facial expressions from people. And they went and they looked and they go, the people that smile the most versus the people that frown the most, maybe that's how you can measure this. And they found out that that doesn't correlate at all either. You can't measure happiness in that way at all. So finally what they did was they said, we're going to self-report. So we're going to ask people to tell us whether or not they're happy. And we'll see if we can measure it that way. So one of the things they did was they had people come in in this experiment and they would ask him, looking back on your life as a whole, overall, how happy are you right now? And here's what they found out, just to throw a little kink in the experiment, was one of the things that they did was they had them come in and they put a snack machine, some sort of vending machine there in the, in the office, and they put some extra change in there so that when somebody went to go get a a bag of potato chips or something like that, they reach down and there's like a dollar and a half a change. Everybody likes that, right? You go to the machine and you reach in and there's extra money in there. It's like finding a 20 in your jeans pocket that you didn't know you had, right? And what they found out was, according to whether or not you found some extra money in the machine before you came in, changed your answer on whether or not you feel like you're a happy person overall in your whole life. People that found some extra quarters would go, yeah, when I look back on my whole life, I'm pretty happy. People that found no change in the machine would look and go, eh, when I look back on my whole life, I don't think I'm really a very happy person. And that's just quarters in a machine. That's enough to buy a bag of Funyuns. And this is what they said. The answers they gave changed if they found a few coins in the machine that the researchers had planted there. Now, finding a few coins shouldn't have a significant impact on one's happiness when considering the decades of one's life, but it did change the answers people give. We are disproportionately impacted by the most recent events of our life. Dis disproportionately affected by the most recent events in our life. These are the things that happened to me recently, and this is now how I see myself. And if you think about it, that makes perfect sense in the way that we tend to operate. These things that happen to us change the way we see ourselves and our life. 
You could also call it like an emoji factor, right? Emojis, this whole idea that we've, we've gotten as a society now is the idea that what you can do is you can read something on social media, you can read something online, you can hear something on the news, you can hear something on your car radio, uh, you can have somebody come tell you something. And the reaction that we have in our society right now is to say, now, tell me how you feel about that. You read this, now what? And you even have the option, sad face, happy face, angry face, crying face, right? Immediately. There's, there's buttons for you to say, here's how I am according to what you just told me. We are disproportionately affected by the last thing that we read, and the last thing that we hear, the last thing that happened around us. And not only that, but they'll go, tell me how you feel about this, now comment according to your emotion. So I read something, I don't like it, I put sad face, and then I get to go off in the comment section. I'm mad, I'm upset, these people are awful, I don't like these guys, I don't like those guys. And our whole world draws us to that. It screams for us to do it. There's opportunity after opportunity, and not only that, it verifies it in such a way as to go, that's what matters. However you're feeling right now is really what matters, so explore it. And then say, that's who we are. Now respond, react, comment, and respond. What you're feeling right now is what matters most. We are disproportionately affected by the things that happened to us last. Now listen, it's something I want to tell you. I'm not making light of what happens to us. Some of you have been through some hard things. And it's not simple stuff. It's not something you read. And it's not something that's just an emoji. Some things that have happened to you are real loss and real hurt, and real pain, and real illness. And I want you to know, I'm not making a lie to that, and going, you should just not feel that way. There are some hard things that happen, some things that you will feel for a long, long time. But even in that, we have Jesus in this spot, right before he's about to face all of these horrible things, going, but I have complete joy, and I want you to have it right here in this place beyond what you can see and beyond what you can feel that is not a vapor and it's not fog it's based on things that are eternal and things that won't change and things that you can rely on more than anything Jesus had a joy that was outside of his circumstances at that time this has nothing to do with my circumstances and I still have complete joy how in the world does somebody do that because again, if you look at it, if anybody had a reason to be empty of joy, it is somebody who's about to face betrayal, denial, abandonment, crucifixion, torture. Had every reason not to have any joy at all, but instead he calls it complete, despite the circumstances. Not because of them, it's outside of the circumstances. How do you have joy that is completely outside of your circumstances? That's a joy that surpasses understanding that is something that is based on something that is quite a bit more than just what's happening to me right now. It's something eternal, something set in stone. What can I hold on to that's unchanged? That no matter what the circumstances, it doesn't rot or rust, it doesn't decay, robbers can't steal it, thieves can't take it away. You got to look beyond earthly eyes. What you have is Jesus going, I know what you see looks hard and horrible, but what I see is my God moving in some ways that will last forever. 
And that's why I'm able to have the joy that I have. It's people that are looking with eyes of the Spirit, people that are looking at eyes of things that are eternal. They're not treasuring up these things that they can see right here on earth, but instead, he's looking at the treasure that is beyond that. And it's not just optimism. I want you to know Jesus wasn't an optimist where you look at it and you go, well, you know, I know I'm going to die and it's torture and it's going to be awful, but the glass is kind of half full. You know, I mean, I, I can look at that and still be an optimist. It's not optimism. Optimism is based on what humans do. Hope is based on what God has done. It's not the same thing. He wasn't just an optimist. He was somebody that knew what God had done. The joy he has comes from the fact that he said just earlier, I want you to abide in me the way I abide in my Father, and he abides in me. We're together. We're one. My Father's moving. Things are about to happen. I am completely in his will. And because of that, I have joy that is complete despite the circumstances that I'm going through. Jesus had hope. We don't think of it that way. We don't usually look at Jesus and go, and Jesus was a person of hope because we look at Jesus and go, he knows the end of the story, so he doesn't need hope. That's what hope is, knowing the end of the story. Right? That's what we have. We have that hope because we know the end of the story and how this is going to go. Not just hope like, I wish this happened. Jesus wasn't going, I'm about to go through this pain and this death, and I'm going to be buried, and I hope God raises me from the dead, and then this all, all isn't for nothing. He knew this is what's going to happen. Death is going to have its day on Friday, but when Sunday comes, stones rolled away, I'm coming back, death doesn't win. Jesus knows what I'm about to do is to go kick down the door on sin and death, and I'm going to march in there, and I'm rescuing everybody. I'm pulling everybody out of that place. All of these people that I love, even the ones that are going to drive nails through my wrists, are the people I'm going in there to save. And they will, every one of them, have a way back. That's why I have complete joy. That's why I'm able to look at this and go, this is beyond the circumstances of what you can see. God is doing something amazing. If you just look, look and see what's happening here. There will be resurrection. There will be victory. There will be joy beyond circumstances. Everybody I love is about to be set free. And that's why I'm able to look past what I'm about to experience. And his joy is not in the cross or the circumstances, it's not that he goes, I'm really excited. As a matter of fact, if you were to take it to happiness and go, are you happy? He'd go, not happy. Joyful, but not happy. What I'm about to go through is going to be really hard. But his joy is not in the cross. His joy is what will happen from the cross. The cross is going to be temporary. Death is going to be temporary. He knows that. There are some things that are eternal. Here's the joy. If you look at Hebrews 12 too, the Hebrew writer talks about it. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right, right hand on the throne of God. For the joy set before him. Jesus had joy before him that was the reason he went to the cross. That's you. That's us. That's why there's joy. You're, you happy you're going to die? No. You happy you're going to go through this torture? No. You excited about what's going to happen? Yeah, there's joy in what's going to happen. My people are going to be saved. 
Because of the joy set out before me, I go and I endure what's temporary so that we may see what's eternal. You're going to do something beyond happiness and beyond emotions. Something that can't be undone or changed in any way. Jesus is going, I know how this ends. And I want to tell you now, right before I go through it, Jesus is, I want to tell you now, right before I go through it, you want to know why? Because you're about to go through it too. It's going to be hard. I mean, you think about Jesus talking to his disciples during that time and saying, listen, you're about to go through some hard stuff. It is really going to be scary. Your, your flesh is going to fail. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to go through difficulties, and eventually you're going to die. So what I want is before you go through that, I want to give you my joy because I'm about to go through that. And I can have joy that's complete. I want you to have joy that is complete. And I want you to know it now. Paul had it. You know, Paul's one of my favorite people in the Bible. Joy, it, Paul had joy that was complete. When he talks about it, he had a great example. Philippians 4, 12 through 13, this is what Paul says. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's Paul going, you want to know what joy is? I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. Contentment, joy. Contentment means to be filled. I know what it means to be filled with joy. And these things that happen around me are not what determine it. It's the connection I have with the vine. That's what determines it. I can do all of these things. Just a few verses even before that, in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That's a guy who goes, I got joy that can't be touched by this world. You can't touch it. You can't take it away from me. You can't rob it. You can't steal it. You can't put me through enough where I give up on it. I know where I stand. If I live, great. If I die, I die, great. This is somebody who's holding on to something that is beyond what you can just see with earthly eyes. You know, I never thought of Paul in any way as like a happy-go-lucky guy. I don't picture Paul in any way as walking around kind of whistling, you know, bebopping around real happy. This was a guy who got stoned multiple times with rocks. This was a guy who shipwrecked more than once, got beaten more than once. I mean, he went through it all. He was thrown in jail, all of these sort of things. Happy? Paul's a happy guy. I don't know about happy. Joyful, fiercely joyful. Fiercely. And I know those words don't typically go together. But that's a guy going, you will not move me off what I have in Christ. You cannot move me off the joy I have. And the reason is because it's built in a hope that I know is there. Fiercely joyful. Paul has it. Jesus had it. We have it. We should. We better. We should be people who have this joy that can't die. Amen. That nobody can take away from us. Really, if we wanted to impact this world in such a way that fulfills the Great Commission, imagine if we were viewed as the most joyful people on earth. Imagine if people looked at us and said, it doesn't seem to matter what happens to them. Conditional-wise, in this world, they seem to still have this joy. Not, and, and, and I'm not talking about without sorrow. 
We still have sorrow. There's hard stuff. But that doesn't knock us off our joy. We still have it. The opposite of joy is not sorrow. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. That's what steals your joy. There's some other things that tend to take away from us having real joy. One of the main things we have is that we strive for happiness. And if you strive for happiness, you won't get joy. Not the same thing. Remember, that's trying to grab a vapor. That's something temporary. That's like trying to grab hold of fog. You will never be able to grab joy by striving for happiness. That's not it. And I'll tell you, here's the other thing. You won't get it for striving for joy. If you go, I'm going to make my life all about trying to reach and grab joy, it won't happen that way either. That's fruit. So you don't get it that way. And you don't get it by avoiding sorrow. So you go, what I'll try and do is stay away from anything that causes pain, sorrow, and hurt. And then I'll have joy. No, you won't. You'll have more sorrow than you've ever had because you're trying to avoid that. Instead, the only way to have joy that can't be taken away, that can't be robbed, that is permanent, is to hold tightly onto the vine. That is what John 15 is about, is Jesus going, you want to know joy? You want to know peace? You want to know hope? You hang on to me, and that stuff will come. Don't go looking for that stuff. You can't find it without me. There's no way. You look for the source of it. You hold on to the source of it, and then you let me make it. People I know, and I bet it would be the same for you, that have the most joy in their life are not people that have had the best circumstances. They're people that hold fiercely onto Christ. I'll tell you about a couple of them. I've got a friend uh, that I've known for many, many years, and um, he is, he's been through a lot. And a few years ago, I grabbed, uh, at the church I was at, I grabbed some young men in their 20s and 30s. And I said, hey, I want to start talking to you. I want you to come over to my house. I want to talk to you about what it means to be a man of God. And really what I wanted more than anything was I was trying to figure out, how do you talk to young men who are fathers and who are husbands? And they go, no matter what, I don't ever want you to let go of who Jesus is. This world's going to throw some hard stuff at you, but you can't let go of who Jesus is. And I'm trying to figure out how to explain that. And I'm trying to talk to him about it. And, and I realized I haven't been through a lot of hard stuff. But I have this buddy who has. And so I called him and I said, hey, would you come talk to these guys? And so he came in and he sat down with them and he started telling them, look, here's what I've been through. And he'd been through some hard stuff. Real hard marriage stuff a long time ago. And he lost a son after just a few days of being born who died. And then he had another son who, as he grew up, got hooked on some really tough drugs and struggled with addiction for a long, long time. And since then, he's been healed from that and is doing well. And then just a couple of years ago, his wife was crossing the street to go see a neighbor, and she died in the middle of the street. And this was about a year after that, and he comes and he sits down with these young men, and he's talking to him, and he goes, but you know... I know who I am. And you want to ask me if I'm sad about my wife? Sure, sometimes it jumps on me, and sometimes I'm really sad. But I know where I'm going, and I know where she is. And after you lose a child, he said, you spend a lot of time sitting and thinking about what you really believe. Do you really believe in the things that have happened right before your eyes here in this world, or do you really believe in some things that are eternal? And he said, we struggled with God and we wrestled with God and we decided we believe in the things that are eternal and can't be changed. 
And he goes, I know where my wife is. And I know where I'm going to be. And because of that, I'm okay. And he's one of the most joyful people I've ever met. That guy's my hero, right? That's a guy that you look at and you go, wow, look at what you, look at what you got. Look at the strength in that. That's a man going, I am not turning loose of what I know to be true. I've got another friend, a powerful woman of God, a great prayer warrior who has been through some hard things in her life too. And she started years ago going, I really want to be recognizing the joy that I have in life by, by looking for it. I really want to look for the things of joy that God's given me. And so she's one of these people on social media to where all she puts up is every day she goes, here's what brought me joy today. And she'll go spending time with my kids, seeing my children walk with God, watching them pray, this and this and this. And then she always ends it with, God's got this, what brought you joy? That's the way she ends it. Every day. Every day. Right now, her husband is in hospice care. He's been struggling with uh, Alzheimer's. And he's within his last hours. And I went and looked this morning, and on her Facebook page is, I got to spend time with my kids, and I got to spend time with my husband. And she goes, God's really, really got this. What's got you joy? People that are reading that don't know everything that's going on. But that's a woman going, I know what's eternal, and I know what's not. And so what's happening today that is hard is not the final word on things. I know the final word. This God's got this is kind of what Jesus was saying. I have this joy and it's complete. Why? Because God's doing something. God is doing something beyond what you see. And that's where she is today. Powerful things. Just one more that I wasn't going to share with you, but then we sang this song. Blessed be your name. That's that song that says, when things are good, blessed be the name of God. When things are bad, blessed be the name of God. That song, for me and my wife, is Neil's song. We had a kid that we worked with in a youth group years ago. He was born uh, without any functioning kidneys, and his father gave him a kidney donation. He was the youngest recipient of an adult kidney donation um, that had ever lived. And he made it to about 19, and then it started failing on him. And then he passed away. And we went to his funeral, his memorial service, and we're all sitting there. And, of course, we're heartbroken because he's like 19 or 20. And there's his parents, and they're sitting on the front row, and they started singing that song, Blessed Be Your Name. And when they got to the verse that said, when you're walking through the desert, when it's dark, when it's hard, his parents stood up and had their hands in the air praising God. Now, the rest of us were wrecked. Because what you see is two people right there going, here I am in the midst of circumstances that would cause anybody to not have any joy. And what you had was two people there filled with sorrow and with joy at the same time going, I know where my son is. I know the promises that are eternal. I know what doesn't change. And that's what I hold on to. And those are people filled with joy. That's who we should be. That's who we're trying to be. We should be people filled with joy because we have hope in the same way Jesus knew this doesn't end in death. We know the same thing. In the same way he knows that sin is going to have its day, but it's not going to ultimately triumph. We know the same thing. In the same way that he knew circumstances are going to be hard, but circumstances are temporary. What God's doing is eternal. We have the same thing. And let me tell you, some of us, we've had our joy stolen recently by some hard things. Some things that have happened, loss, grief, 
pain, disease, death, and it has come in and it has robbed us of our joy. We're about to take some time for you to rediscover it because it's there. So we're going to take a little time for prayer. And when we do, I'd like to encourage you, wherever you are, if you'd like to, to go to God and go show me the things that are eternal and remind me of the joy, even the joy of my salvation that I had. Remind me of the things that are eternal. Hold on tight and abide in those things. You know, it's funny. Most of the songs about abide, you know those, you know, abide with me, abide in me. Those are usually songs of us asking God to not leave us. Stay with me, God. I'm going through hard things. Stay with me. Stay with me. Here's what you need to know. That's done. He's there. It's a good song to sing because of what it does is it express what our heart desires most is for a God to stay right next to us. But that's done. That part's already there. Really what we ought to sing is, Lord, give me strength to abide in you. Let me never leave you. Let me never turn my back on you. Because that's the source of all joy. If you would, stand with me, please. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have some elders, ministers around. If you want to go pray with them, ask them to pray that you find your joy, that you would be people of joy, that you would be people who uh, walk through life knowing the things that are eternal. You will have an opportunity to do that. If you want to pray with somebody near you, do that. If you'd like to just sit down and pray yourself, or if you want to sing, all of those things are open. But we want to be people of prayer. We want to be people of introspection. We want to be people who let God do his work in us. So let's pray, and then we'll sing a couple of songs. Holy God, we thank you so much for the way that you love us. We thank you for promises that can't be taken away. We thank you that even though we may experience anxiety or fear, loss, sickness, death, that we are still people of joy. Even in our sorrow, we are people of joy. We hold on to things that are eternal. And Lord, we ask that you make our joy complete, knowing that it has been fulfilled. The work has been done. We have been redeemed. The tomb is empty. And because of that, Lord, we can be people of great joy. Let us impact this world in that way. Let us be people of joy and let the world see it so that they may know that there is a living God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.